The Southwest WA Drought Resilience Adoption and Innovation Hub acknowledges the traditional custodians throughout Western Australia and their continuing connection to the land, waters and community. It pays its respects to elders past and present and extends that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Hello, I'm Julianne Hill, Hub Adoption Manager. This podcast series on dry season responses is brought to you by the Southwest WA Drought Hub and funded through Future Drought Fund. In this series, we'll hear from growers and industry experts on managing dry season responses, ranging from early planning to tactical decision making as the season changes throughout the year and setting up for your following season. Hello everyone and welcome back to a new episode of the Dry Season Resources podcast. On the episode today, we are going to be talking all things spraying. As we know, this summer's been pretty hot, it's been pretty dry, it's been pretty dusty. We've had a few isolated pockets that have received some thunderstorms, but uh, that's been about it. It's definitely been a dry, hot, dusty start to the year. So with that in mind, we are going to be talking about the key spray considerations to try and conserve some moisture for this growing season. I am joined by Bill Campbell from Campbell Ag Services and also Gemma Sadler, who is a grower. I'm going to get everyone to introduce themselves first. Bill, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what qualifies you to talk to us about spraying today? Well, I work in the Northern Agricultural Area as an agronomist, firstly, primarily working out of Geraldton and then in the Dalwallanew district. And secondly, I set up a lot of boom sprays and do a lot of spray application, communication and training. So I've been doing that for like 20 years. So the two sort of marry up to helping growers and getting sprayers spraying correctly and, you know, managing the conditions that we do deal with at this particular time of the year. Gemma, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and where it is you farm? Yeah, I'm Gemma Donegan now, married to my husband Shay, and we are farming in the Dower and Gamaling area. We're cropping wheat, barley, canola, lupins, and then we also run merino sheep. do a lot of spraying and it's a big part of farming, the biggest job really. So as chemicals have become more expensive, getting the spray onto the ground and into the weeds is becoming more important. As we've said to start off with, it's been pretty dry, pretty dusty, pretty hot. I'm going to feel like I'm going to say all those three things many times throughout this episode. Bill, what does that, in just a summary, what does that do to our spraying programs when the conditions are like they've been at the beginning of the year? Well, it actually makes it very, very difficult because the hours in the day or the opportunity to spray when it's ideal is very, very limited. And so, you know, we've got some guidelines that we can work to of temperature and humidity. But when you've got, you know, areas to spray and you need to go and do it, it gets very limited. And so you get restricted from logistics time. And in really big operations, how do you actually get over the ground to do it? So you you, you get really caught in a, between a rock and a hard place when it's, you know, in this January, February, March period. This is probably going to be a silly question, but I'm a big fan of silly questions. I feel like especially people who maybe aren't in ag might assume that being summer, if it's dry, that's actually a good thing because the weeds 
won't have the, I guess, the conditions to grow. There's no moisture to, to help them grow. So is it a good thing that it's dry because they don't grow as much or is, is that just not the case and weeds are weeds and they'll grow regardless? Weeds are weeds and they'll grow regardless, depending upon soil moisture. But to go back a step, it's, it's all about, you know, achieving a happy balance. So when you spray a weed, it's got to be growing and it's got to be happily growing. So when we're getting 40 plus degree days and plants are stressed and we spray a herbicide on them, then they won't take it up. I mean, we'll end up with, you know, poor um, efficacy. So it's a matter of, you know, balancing the, when the plant's growing, say in the morning when it has recovery overnight or we get a you know, a bit of a dew or, you know, a, a four or five day pattern where the weather actually cools down, we've got to take that opportunity to go spraying. Otherwise, if we just ignore the conditions and get spraying, we won't get control and we're just wasting our money. Gemma, Bill mentioned that the operation does impact how difficult spraying at this time of year can be. Can you tell us a little bit about your operation so we can put that into perspective? Yeah. So as I said, we crop uh, wheat, barley, canola, lupins, and we run sheep, and uh, we have an SP um, boom spray, self-propelled boom spray, which is better for the dust when you're summer spraying than a tow behind. Uh, we changed from a tow behind to a SP a few years ago and it was significantly better for the dust. We find with a hay, our pasture and our lupin stubbles, we always have more summer weeds than the cereals because you've cut off the moisture earlier in the season. So they're always our first paddocks that we will check for summer weeds. One thing we do for dust management is we have chaff decks on the back of our header which put all the chaff in the lines on the wheel tracks and we've found that really good for managing the dust for summer spraying. It's helped a lot. Bill, you mentioned spray efficacy there, that if we do have periods where, you know, the weeds are struggling, that they're not going to take up the herbicide, we're going to have some issues with efficacy. What are the considerations or how can growers go about increasing that efficacy when we've got no bloody 45 degree days like you guys have had up there in the north recently? So we actually have some guidelines based on meteorological conditions and there's, a, there's an index that we use which is called Delta T and primarily it's a difference between the wet bulb thermometer and the dry bulb thermometer. So it's an index of temperature and humidity and when the Delta T is 10 or 12 or below, we get what we call like ideal droplet survival but it's more than that because when we spray a plant and we put that herbicide on solution on the leaf, if it evaporates too quick, obviously when the delta T is exceptionally high, the plant doesn't have time to take that up out of the solution. So when we spray within those ideal delta T conditions, it allows the plant to, you know, to, to take that herbicide up. The other piece to add to that is that it depends upon what's in the herbicide mix. So Primarily, in our summer mixes, they could be glyphosate-based or they could be glyphosate and what we call T4D ester Garlon mixtures. The thing about glyphosate is for the plant to take it up, it's an active process, so it must be on solution on the leaf in sunlight. So if we've got glyphosate in a mix and say we spray it on the plant at 2 o'clock in the morning and that dries out at 6 minutes past 2, and then we get no juice, we've got completely dry conditions, the plant never, ever, ever takes that glyphosate up. 
Whereas if it has a 2,4-D component or Garlon in that mix, it's a passive process. It's taken up in the dark. Then we will control those broadleaf weeds that are controlled by the phenoxies. And so what you actually see when you spray in the wrong conditions, like now, is you'll kill all the broadleaf weeds, but any grasses or cereals uh, survive because they just don't take the glyphosate up. So Delta T is one part of it, and then we've got to understand the chemistry that's in the tank. And when we get conditions like they are now, I mean, if you monitor, say, Delta T, it could be adequate from 2 o'clock in the morning. By about 9 o'clock in the morning, it's gone past the optimum window. So essentially, if glyphosate's in the mix... You've got about a three or four hour period every day, other than when we get the blocks of four or five days of these extreme conditions, when you can spray glyphosate in the mix. So you've got to you know, be smart about what's in the mix and assess the paddocks and does it need glyphosate as a base or is it phenoxy? So I probably made that overcomplicated, but they're the, they're the considerations that, that we have to put to. But again, just to con- put that into context, is it so we get to that late autumn period and we're in that April, May and we're in a normal growing season, conditions are fine the whole time of the year. It's just this block at the moment of this three months of the year where, you know, we have to be really mindful of the weather. But for the balance of the year, we don't have to really consider stress or how the plant takes it up because it's, you know, we're always in those more than ideal conditions. You're right, Bill. That sounded complicated. I didn't know that herbicides work differently at day and night time. And I've been in this industry for like six years and I feel like I probably should have known that by now. So you really do learn something new every day. Gemma, I'm hoping you did know that. How on earth do you manage this? Like the logistics of it at this time of year, as Bill said, you've got three or four hours in a day where you can be using certain mixes. That's a nightmare. Yeah, it may. You know, we do it every year. We've been doing it for years. Everyone's pretty much got the Delta T usually on their phone now. Look at your local weather stations and look it up there. Lots of apps do the Delta T forecast, so keep a pretty good eye on it. And with the weather forecasting we have, it is easy to plan, really. And when the weather's right, get to it, really. Are there lots of early mornings? Are you starting spraying sometimes at, you know, 3, 4 a.m. earlier? Yeah, 2, 3 a.m. if there's lots to do. We've only had to spray half of our program this year because of thunderstorms all over. But, yeah, if you're into it, you know, you start at midnight, you need to be if the Delta T's all right. Yeah, that's just – I truly had no idea that it was that. I knew it's hard at this time of year, but I – the level of difficulty that there is when it's – with the conditions we have at the moment, that never truly understood it until now. I can imagine when it's hot – Evaporation's a pretty big thing. Those spray droplets are just, as you said, you know, six minutes after it's been sprayed on a plant that they're evaporating away. How do growers manage that spray droplet survival and keep that into consideration? All our growers are just so mindful of conserving moisture. And so if we go back to, say, our harvest period, because that's where a lot of this activity and planning actually starts from, and we're actually at the second half or you know pretty much a lot of the summer spraying's done so a lot of it's implemented back in that november december period and so the paddocks that actually have some sort of weed burden at the moment are the the fallow paddocks or the valley floors where there's obviously a bit more moisture so we tend to get some different weed species there 
And then there's some selected areas, you said in introduction, where we've had some summer rain of 20 or 30 mils. And because moisture retention is so critical, all, all, all our growers are right on top of, you know, when the weeds are there, we just go and spray them. And so if we get a summer thunderstorm, generally everybody will wait 10, 14 days and then they'll start spraying. So we don't ever, ever get them, give them a chance. So what we're actually doing now in the middle of February is we're tidying up a lot of the loose ends where the weeds have come back. And so we actually get onto it a lot earlier. So we avoid this difficult period in the calendar. Yeah, and as the season goes, it depends upon how, you know, more thunderstorms or how the season breaks. So um, it's really an ongoing process. It's a continual process over the summer autumn period. Are there ways if there are large, you know, for those that have, especially those people who maybe have had summer rain and there are, you know, some decent hectares that need to be sprayed in a day, are there ways that growers can go about maximising their efficiency on those days to try and get through just as many hectares as possible when they have the opportunity? Yeah, so what we do is we really monitor the weather systems and as the, the troughs are coming down the coast and we're getting four or five days of conditions uh you know, are not good, they're just non-spray days. And therefore, when we can see a, a weather pattern come through of four or five days where the conditions are not so hot, sometimes you can get some damp, dewy, clammy mornings. We just make the most of that. And then back on the herbicide mixtures is that because glyphosate is such a difficult product to use at this time of the year, if we can, say, use 2,4-D ester and, say, Garlon mixes, because that suits that weed species, we can spray at night time. You know, we need to be aware if there's some issues around nighttime spraying for drift and droplet survivability and all that sort of thing. So we change our mixes so we can get more hours in the day to do that. And then another part which we haven't actually spoken about is that a lot of growers now have optical sprayers, so where it'll just spray that individual plant when it recognises it. And that way we can spray with high doses, high water rates and achieve some efficacy and and we can compromise those bad meteorological days. So we've got some other tools around us that we can, you know, utilise as well. Are you able to take us through, Gemma, what you do to maximise, you know, pretty much what, exactly what Bill said, but how you actually do it in, in, on your farm? Is it a matter of bringing in, you know, having extra people on the days where the conditions are good to try and get through more or, or, yeah, how do you manage that? Yeah, we've only got the one boom, so it's just drive fast, really. <laughs> I think, like, what a focus we've been looking at is being able to lower our water rate but still get good coverage with our droplet size so that we're still getting a good kill. And with a lower water rate, you can get a lot more hectares out of a tank and it's more efficient, so... That's something that we've been trying to focus on. Then having a nurse tank in the paddock is important to make you go quicker. Yeah, like I think this year, because it's been isolated thunderstorms, the optical sprayers is something a lot of people will be dreaming of because, yeah, there's not a lot of weeds, but there's just random weeds everywhere. And it's, yeah, certainly something I think will be pricing up in the future because for years like this, it's been um, very helpful. Bill, you mentioned before spray drift. That's something that we haven't touched on a lot. What are the risks of that and, and when Agra was most at risk of spray drift at this time of year? 
So the big risk is night spraying. And because what can occur at night is we can get inversion conditions. And, and inversion is where we get cold air trapped under warm air. And so when you spray, if the droplets sit in that inversion condition, so effectively there's, you know, wind speed is negligible, and then the droplets in that inversion will drift for kilometres and kilometres and kilometres. So even when we spray at night, ideally we should have wind speeds from sort of 3 to 15 kilometres an hour. Some products specify up to 20, which is getting quite windy. So when you start to monitor the conditions that we've been dealing with, our inversion conditions, we haven't been that strong recently. And one of the issues is at night time, the wind has actually been too strong, so it's been the other way. So what we need to do is when we spray at night, we just need to monitor and make sure that we're not in those inversion conditions. And if we're not in those inversion conditions and we've got, say, you know, steadily easterly blowing, then we can, you know, spray within that three to 15 kilometre hours. So that's the big, the big threat is no wind, calm conditions, any spray that ends up in there, it, you don't know where it goes. Have you had any issues with night spraying and spray drift this summer, Gemma, that you've had to be, you know, taking into consideration? The main challenge with summer spraying is the wind because it's always windy. We just lower our pressure, try and do coarse droplets, keep the boom close to the ground because, you know, it's less than ideal but at some stage you do have to get the job done. In terms of drift, obviously there's the neighbours might appreciate a bit of ester actually, but um, there's no, you know, we want the crop on the chemical on the ground, but we don't have any crops next door that are going to get affected. So in that way, we haven't had any issues, but it's more about yeah, getting the chemical on the ground, I guess. Yeah, so it's just about managing it really. I think like PWM sprayers are on the market a lot now and you can't use air induction nozzles which we found quite challenging because the air induction nozzles lower the drift, but with PWM you have to use just, uh, I'm not sure, Bill, but flat fan nozzles, and the drift from that can be quite a bit more, so that's been a bit harder to manage too. So, Shannon, on sprayer setup, and Gemma sort of raises a point of discussion that we haven't covered off yet, is sprayer setup is a really, really big part of summer spray, and the key thing with the most of the summer weeds that we spray is they're generally very big targets and a lot of them are flat targets. Where we do have some some grasses, they are a, what we call a, like a reasonable target. So as we move to bigger and bigger droplets, the drift component in the fraction gets less and less. So that's why we see product labels specify to spray with very coarse or bigger droplets. And... Um, as I say, the consequence of that is you get less and less drift. Now, with PWM sprayers, if we want to spray with really big droplets, then we have to put specialised nozzles on them. And so there's only one company in the world that manufacture, you know, nozzles that are equivalent to air inducted. So we can modify or um, put particular setups on, say, PWM sprayers to copy like an air inducted nozzle. Yeah, and so if we've got windy conditions, a big droplet is less prone for wind to blow around, so it's that's the ideal way to go. 
Are there any other tips that you have for sprayer setup, spray rig setup? I know, Gemma, you mentioned of trying to reduce the amount of water being used because then you can, you know, the, the spray rig lasts you longer. But are there any tips on, I don't know, having water closer to paddocks so that you don't have to go back as often? Are the, what else can growers do just to try and speed up the efficiency of this all happening? Uh, we, I have a nurse tank, so that's water and chemical in the paddock so you don't have to fold up. That makes it much more efficient, keeping the water rate low. And, yeah, ideally we sort of try and stick to a 25-kilometre max an hour, and I don't think Bill would suggest you don't go much faster than that because you start losing chemical, but I'm not sure what else other than that, sorry. That's all right. How about you, Bill? Any spray rig setups, spraying setups in general tips that you can give? I think Gemma uh, mentioned it earlier is – not too fast, you can lower your boom closer to the ground because every 20 centimetres higher that you lift the boom up, any drift component goes exponentially further. You can run lower pressures so that you have bigger droplets and then obviously you can do that with not particular nozzle setups. So with spray efficiency, and Gemma's alluded to it, is when that spray is spraying, you're being efficient. Where you lose efficiency is in ferry and fill. It's when the spray is not spraying. So if you can shorten your fill time or your ferry to to go and fill it and backwards and forwards, then that's how you optimise your time. So it's about hours that the the spray is spraying is where efficiency comes from. So by correcting or servicing the spray like a pit spot in a car race, that's how you get your best hectare sprayed in a day, obviously fitting in around the weather conditions. There was one more thing that we haven't touched on that I wanted to ask about, and that is plant back. So are there things that growers need to keep in mind when spraying herbicides in terms of, yeah, the plant back or interval periods at this time of year? So the big consideration with regarding to plant back is that depending upon what weeds we're spraying currently and do we need residual herbicides in there for when we do get a break to control, you know, germination of, say, volunteer canola or lupins. That's uh, one consideration. But the big issue I believe that we're dealing with at the moment is that we have just come off a very, very dry year in 2023. And a lot of my growers, the lowest rainfall that they've received is 85 millimetres, and there's a lot of growers on 120 to 150, 160 millimetres done a remarkable job on growing the amount of crop that we have. But if you take, for an example, a product like Sakura, which everybody uses, it's a a wonderful pre-emergent herbicide, it has a plant back on its label of a minimum of 250 millimetres of rainfall over a nine-month period. We haven't even achieved that. So we've got lots of products that we've used in 2023 that we haven't actually achieved minimum plant backs that become a big consideration into our crop in 2024. And if any growers want to read about it or have concerns, is the JDC have a, a really good fact sheet publication on plant backs. And you can download the PDF and it has all the different herbicide groups and herbicides that we use that they can get a feel for, you know, is there a risk going into, you know, a particular crop type this year? And so plant back is triggered by soil moisture, length of that soil moisture, 
and a lot of them are broken down by microbial action. So when we have these dry soils and we haven't achieved 200 mils, you know, in big areas of the, the northern wheat belt, you know, what is going to happen with plantback? So there's a lot of unknown in that area. So there's a couple of little tricks we can do, but it's going to be, you know, interesting how the season breaks, how much rain we have early, you know, does that help? The other thing we can do is we can water up areas and plant crop into it by hand just to see whether there's going to be some carryover. So back to your original question is the plant back's more about what happened last season as opposed to what we're doing in this summer spray period. Uh, Gemma, are there any plant back issues that you would consider after a dry year like last year? And if, if so, what are they? And, and will you be changing any paddocks or rotations because of it? Yeah, it's something I'm quite concerned about. I heard the other day that someone found some phosphorus fertiliser that hadn't even dissolved in the furrow, so that just goes to show how things aren't breaking down in the soil. I didn't know about Secura. I was worried more about Reflex and Overwatch and those common ones that we always worry about. But, uh, yeah, if we have to start worrying about Secura, that's going to be a challenge, and we're just really hoping for a big summer thunderstorm, really, to do that because... It will be difficult to change rotations. It's, you know, with the weeds and the the, the long-term rotation, it's, it is hard. So it'll be a challenge. I think what we're going to need to do is, like, do an audit on what we used last year in what paddocks and just list out those products and then determine the risk of what we're going into in 2024. And then maybe we do that water an area up and do, like, a an in-situ you know, plant some crop and just see, you know, what the effect's going to be. We achieve a lot of safety for plant back by our seeding systems with our knife point press wheel seeders where we do actually plant and we clean the slot out and we do redistribute it into the row. But it's then, you know, uh, later in the year when it all wets up, do the plants get access to it if it hasn't broken down? So it's a really, really hard question to answer but I think we'll need to do a list and a bit of an audit and then, you know, risk profile on those chemistries. And Gemma, you mentioned a couple there that we'll really need to be really careful of what we do in those paddocks. It sounds like we need to do an entire other episode just on plant back considerations uh, by, by the sounds of it. I'll be uh, suggesting that one to the team. feel like we could be sitting here for another 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> we need to swat it up because... It's work in progress at the moment. It's work in progress for a presentation in a fortnight's time. So what you're saying is uh, this was really good practice for that presentation. You got the beginning of it down. Well, I thought you were going to ask, and so that's why I had Sakura lined up and, you know, a reference source to go to. But I've got questions on, like, Reflex, which we use in lupins. It's a wonderful product, but it does can carry over into wheat. And it just needs moisture and, you know, bugs to activate it, I mean, to break it down. So, yeah, we need to do more homework. Is there anything else that either of you want to add on this topic that we haven't covered yet so far? I guess getting your boom spray set up, like I've done it a couple of times in the last two years, and it's just so important to, to look at your nozzle size, your water rates, your pressures, and get all that correct because it, it makes everything so easier and more efficient when you have that right. Yeah. I guess just in closing, Shannon, the, the thing is that when we have to spray 
and we've got these really adverse conditions is that just step back a bit, study your weather maps, work out when you're going to get suitable periods or, for, you know, four or five day blocks, try and pick those and then look at your weed species and then your chemistries and just see, you know, what you can do, or whether it's all night spraying or we can do some into the day, how much you can sort of push those limits. So, yeah, try and assess everything and then if conditions are not right, don't spray, just wait. It's better off to spray, you know, a plant that's not as stressed than one that's, you know, totally stressed. Bill, Gemma, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I really appreciate both of your time. No worries. No worries. Thanks, Shannon. That does bring us to the end of another episode of the Dry Season Resources Podcast. As always, if you are chasing any more information, the Hub website and newsletter is the way to go. Uh, You can subscribe to that newsletter at hub.gga.org.au. And we will talk to you next time. Have a good day. You've just been listening to the Southwest WA Hub's limited dry season podcast series. For further support for decision-making through dry periods, the Drought Hub website features a collection of resources for the livestock, grains and horticultural industries. You can find them under the Resources tab on the Hub website at hub.gga.org.au. This episode has been brought to you by the Southwest WA Drought Hub, funded by the Future Drought Fund. If you or someone you know is in crisis, contact Lifeline on 13 11 one four.